I want to read just a really short scene where Jesus is standing there and all these parents are trying to bring the children, even little babies, up to Jesus and the disciples. They don't think it's a good thing. Let's listen to what Luke has to say. Luke 18. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. When the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them, the children, to him, saying, Let the children come to me, for to such, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Listen to this point. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. This is pretty incredible. Did you come here this morning, children, thinking that you were going to receive a kingdom? Were you planning on getting a kingdom this morning? <laughs> you hear what Jesus says? Why should you receive a kingdom? Did you do anything really good this week, get some good grades that deserve a kingdom? No, no. Actually, all of us get a kingdom Jesus is offering, but we receive it simply because God is so good and gracious, because none of us have done anything to deserve a kingdom. But here's where we need your help. Jesus says, that we must receive the kingdom of God like a child. We need your help because we're big people. What do you think that means, to receive the kingdom of God like a child? Any thoughts? What is it about you children that's different from us big people? No thoughts? Well, are you guys, did any of you get here to church on your own this morning? How did you get to church here, Tatum? Yeah, yeah. You got a ride here from an adult, didn't you? Children are more needy, right? So I think that's part of receiving a kingdom. We're more needy. I think there's something else. I remember you once wearing a princess dress. Do you boys ever make paper swords out of your bulletins? No, but you thought about it, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> Why is that? Because you guys understand something big people don't. You can take ordinary things like princess dresses and paper swords and know these ordinary things can take you to extraordinary places, right? You can have an active imagination. I was talking to Tatum last night about a movie called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. They made a movie on this. It was really good. How did the children enter into this land of Narnia? through an old closet, an old wardrobe, or through a painting, through ordinary things. And that's something that we adults need to remember because remember there's actually Peter later on, he can't get to Narnia anymore. Why is that? Because he got too big, too grown up. So I wanna encourage you guys to help us to have a holy imagination because there are real places, realities that are far beyond this world and sometimes we lose that when we get older. So you guys keep that whole imagination going and help us along the way, okay? All right, you guys head to Children's Church. I invite you at this time to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be reading verses 18 to 29. 
Before we come to the word of the Lord, uh, let's go to the Lord of the word. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now and we don't have eyes to see what's really there apart from faith. So we pray that you'll give us faith, send your spirit, and help us to see your son Jesus. We ask in his name. Amen. Now hear the word of our God from Hebrews chapter 12. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. We're starting today a series on Christian worship, and over the next 10 weeks or so, we're actually going to walk through our bulletin, every part of it, from the call to worship, to the confession, to the sermon, to the prayer, to the Lord's Supper, to see why we do what we do each week. That's why I entitled this sermon, The Five W's of Worship, the who, what, when, where, and why of worship. And Hebrews 12 is a huge help to us. Look again at verses 28 and 29. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We're told, number one, that gathering together is about receiving a kingdom, just like Jesus said earlier, right? And number two, we gather to offer grateful worship to God. It's about receiving and offering. There's a give and take or more, a take and give to worship. Look at page one of your bulletin. Over here on the side, right next to the call to worship, we read this. Worship begins at God's initiative. God holds forth grace in the greeting, the call, forgiveness, preaching, the Lord's Supper, and the blessing or benediction at the end. We respond with, with gratitude and song, in prayer and offerings. This back and forth between God and his people is why we call this a service, a worship service. 
we serve God and God serves us. See, worship is this back and forth, but it always begins with God's initiative to bless us first. It's actually how human history began. God gave our first parents a land with kingdom potential. They received this lush garden in the land of Eden that they were to develop and to rule over. And they were then, after receiving that, to offer grateful worship and obedience to God. There was this back and forth from the beginning. It all got interrupted in Genesis 3. They decided to obey a different voice that was speaking to them, Satan. And they ate from the prohibited tree, the forbidden fruit. They failed the tree test, fell into sin and shame, and humanity, we lost our reign on this planet. That's why Hebrews is such good news, by the way. Hebrews begins with the announcement of a new human on the throne in a new and better kingdom. God's son, Jesus, became human like us, was obedient for we failed to be obedient. He passed the tree test at Calvary by paying for our sins. And he was raised from the dead, and then he went back to heaven to rule now an unshakable kingdom. And you know what he's done up there by sending the Holy Spirit? He has opened portals to heaven on earth that we call churches. Do you think of the church that way? As a portal to heaven? Heart City exists to make known the ultimate reality. What is really real? Through preaching, through the Lord's Supper, through prayer. These are our means of grace. These elements of worship are ordinary things, right? Me standing up here is not that extraordinary. But it actually reveals something ordinary with eyes of faith. And deep down, we all know there's something more. Think of that great movie you love. Think of those fantasies we get to do, sci-fi. Why is it that we just like, oh man, that would just be so great? Because there is a longing that still remains in every human heart that we lost long, long ago. Every time we come to church, you're allowing yourself to be reoriented to the ultimate reality. So let's begin with the who of worship. Who is the audience? Who is the audience at church? Not you. You're not the audience. God is. God is the audience. You've actually been given an audience to meet with the great cosmic creator of all things. That's why we always start with a moment of meditation before the service, because guess what? We're all so distracted, right? You may be distracted right now, right? Where's your mind going? We, we do not want to be insulting our great cosmic creator king, who we've been granted an audience with by our distractions. Actually, I was reading a Spurgeon earlier this week, and he quipped, what should we think of a person if, while having an audience with a prince, he should be playing with a feather or catching a fly? We think he's nuts, right? The moment of silence reminds us to put down our feathers and to hit pause. We need this reminder, you know, because we come to church with like a million things on our brains, right? Recent events, struggles with kids, a tiff with a spouse, the weather, the traffic, what I'm wearing, what are people thinking of me right now as you're looking at me? My friends, I'm hungry, right? There's no end to it. This meditation moment is encouragement for us to leave behind the lesser realities because all that's completely insignificant. You realize that if all the problems of the world were to hit you at the same time, every problem, it's nothing in comparison to holy almighty God. He's here described as a consuming fire. 
with a voice that could shake the heavens and the earth. That's who you're coming to meet. We're approaching the unapproachable. <laughs> we are finite creatures encountering the infinite creator. We're trying to comprehend the one who is incomprehensible. And I'm using all these negative words because we can't even describe who God is, right? We can't really capture him. When we come before God, we crash into the totally unfamiliar. I'll be the first one to say, part of me doesn't like that at all. I like the familiar. I like the comfortable. But Almighty God is not manageable and we cannot tame him. Mr. Beaver, in one of Lewis's Narnia books, tells the children about this great lion named Aslan, who, who's a representation of Christ. And they're about to meet him, and Susan says, Is he quite safe? I would be very nervous, you know, meeting a lion. Mr. Beaver exclaims, Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. We come to a God who is good, but he's not safe. Do we come here thinking that? Now, we're not going to hand out crash helmets this morning or attach seatbelts to our chairs. But our bulletin note on this moment of silence and meditation is given to encourage us to be sufficiently sensible to who it is that we're actually encountering. That's what Hebrews is telling us. And to rejoice that God, who is a consuming fire, who's the heart of the whole universe, that he is good. And let's think about it. As you came in here and as we started worship, as you came to the presence of the infinite, eternal, all-powerful, almighty God who's created everything, what were his very first words to you? Grace to you and peace. That's the gospel. That's the good news. He wants to meet with you, to bless you, to show you that all those things that you're so anxious about, which seem so significant, so powerful, all that consumes your thoughts, they're really nothing. That's what he wants to convince us. With one word, this text tells us that God is going to shake down everything that's wrong with our world one day. Could be today. So that leads to our second question. So what is worship? And what's acceptable worship? Well, actually, it can be kind of hard to define because everything and everyone is doing it all the time. The Bible actually teaches that everything God created was actually designed to glorify him. I was actually driving up to Kezu last Wednesday morning, and there was this incredible winter sunrise coming over the fields, you know, one with all the pinks and the oranges and everything else, and you're just starting to peek over the horizon. It was breathtaking. I turned off my music just to praise God. You know why? When creation worships, it's glorious. It is glorious. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim his handiwork. The sky was bursting forth because it was doing what it was designed to do. Glorify its creator. Worship God. All creation is worshiping. You see this in the little, and ever look at a little snowflake? It's incredible as it falls down. The rivers, the flowers, animals, birds, our pets. Yeah, somehow even cats are glorifying God. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> Some people look at them, yeah, and they say, how incredible, and they just get warmed in their heart. They see them glorifying our God. And when human beings, you and I, when we're doing what we're designed to do, we're actually the ultimate beauty in all the universe. Do you realize that? That's why you're so special. 
Now, sadly, you think things about your life that are not so beautiful, right? Because somewhere your worship went wrong. You stopped worshiping. We're, actually, we were continuing to worship all the time, but we stopped worshiping as we were made to worship. We make something else the object of our adoration. Our hearts are devoted to. See, we're hardwired to worship. We can't stop doing it. And this is really easy to see. I love picking on football fans this time of year during the playoffs, right? What are these football fans doing? They are consumed all week long, right? Looking at the stats, reading, how, how's my team not favored here? Who's not going to play? Where's the temperature going to be like? And then comes game day, right? What if they actually got tickets, front row tickets? Huh? They're getting up hours early that day, fixated. They're putting on all the gear. They're fighting through traffic, standing in long lines, right? And what happens at that moment when they come into the presence of the object of their adoration? Have you seen them? Have you seen them? I, I was watching a game the other day. Unceasing praise. Yeah! Crush all! Who the best? Prayer. Oh, please, please don't miss this kick. Please make this kick. Come on. And what happens if the kick is good? Absolute joy. And instant unification among folks who don't even know one another. Right? I remember this at a White Sox game. I was hugging some fan. And my wife's like, what are you doing? It was a walk-off home run. It was great, okay? It was excellent. <laughs> but what is that? That is worship, okay? And we see this. American Idol fans, right? We see this in those who follow celebrities, superheroes, even politicians. More and more in our day, what are people worshiping? Nature and the environment, right? Giving up on God, but oh boy, I can just celebrate the creation. We're ever adoring something greater than ourselves because this is what we're hardwired for. It's because we were made for God and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. That's why God's greatest command is to love him with our whole heart, every bit of us. I know many of us are afraid to give God our whole heart. That's why we're constantly grasping for the fruit. We don't really trust him enough with us, do we? We're half-hearted folks spending our lives with drink and sex and toys, right? C.S. Lewis says, so many of us, we make... We spend all of our days making mud pies in the slums because we can't imagine what it, the offer of a holiday at the sea would be like. It's sad, all these Esau's we see around, they're selling their soul for a pot of stew when infinite joy is offered. What joy is that, Joel? <laughs> what joy is that? Over and over, you open this Bible, what does it say? God says, praise me, praise me, praise me. He's inviting us to praise him. Not because God needs it. God doesn't need your praise. He's God. He doesn't need anything. God invites you to worship him for your good. To abandon yourself and give praise to him. Wholehearted praise to him. To set yourself in worship and to take in all his greatness, all his beauty, all his power, his holiness. To take in more and more of his worth-ship. That's where the word comes from. His worth. That's what acceptable worship is, by the way, when we do that. John Piper writes, The inner essence of worship is to know God truly and then to respond from the heart to that knowledge by valuing God, treasuring God, prizing God, enjoying God, being satisfied with God above all earthly things. 
So I'm telling you, you can be a football fan, that's fine, but don't set your heart on your favorite football team. You may have joy this season. I see a lot of Lions fans happy, but I've watched them shrivel for years and same with Bears fans. Look at them right now, right? It's, don't set your heart on temporary beauty. Be it a person, be it a possession. Beauty in this age is fading, and it will be taken from you one day, from your hands, and you won't be able to hold on to it. Because everything in this age is passing away. That's what this text is about. We gather here to gaze on the beauty of the eternal God. So the when question comes next. When do we worship? Verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. When should we worship? Today. My not yet Christian friends, judgment's coming. Today is the day of salvation. To flee, to worship from the God that you can't escape. That's why we flee to him. Because he doesn't want us to try and escape. One day Jesus, Hebrews says this, is going to toss aside this whole universe like an old garment. For those who love him, it will be glory. For those who don't, it will be gory. This reality is temporary. Jesus' resurrection actually began the start of this new creation, this new and lasting creation. That's why we gather on Sunday, the Lord's Day, because we're celebrating his resurrection. And we need this special day once a week, every seven days, to be reoriented and to taste his rest. That brings us to the where question. So where have we come? It's actually the main point. Notice the author provides us with a contrast. There's two locations. He says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and to the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. The scene here is Mount Sinai, Exodus 20. Moses, you know, he brought the Hebrews out. Yes, they escaped Egypt. Hey, first public worship service ever. All excited. God rescued them out of the land of Egypt, invited them to this mountain, to their, his presence. You think it'd be a great time, right? Yay, we get to meet with God. And suddenly, just like that, the trumpet sounds and it comes to a screeching halt, all of worship. Right? We're laughing. They weren't laughing when they heard the trumpet blast. They were terrified. How would you like to step up to the mountain? You got your invitation, front row seats to meet with God. And then you discover the reality of shock and awe. A blazing fire, darkness, gloom, violent storm. And then God's voice thunders and everyone, all of us would just go right into the fetal position and start praying that our pets hadn't wandered too close to the mountain. Even Moses, the mighty Moses, his knees are knocking. Here's the good news. You haven't come there. You've come to Mount Zion, in the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. The author is saying you have not come to an earthly, physical place. Even if your mind right now is informing you, your eyes, oh, I'm at a old former bank building on 303 in the middle of the downtown Elkhart. No, 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 no. The moment worship begins... We enter into a kingdom of God reality, a greater reality. What Hebrews is doing is showing us two worship realities. One material mountain, one spiritual summit. And he shows us this second reality. The spiritual is so much greater. 
so much greater. This is important because where do you find your identity? In this world? That's Mount Sinai, where Israel came after they had been identifying by being slaves in Egypt all their lives. That was the only identity they knew. Imagine being one of those Israelites. And then they find out, oh, we can't approach God on our own merits. <laughs> he gives them the law, right? They were not better people than the Egyptians. That's our default, by the way. I mentioned that. Because I meet people every week. I talk about their relationship with God, and they say, oh, they look around and they compare themselves to other folks. Or they look at all the things that they do and all the things they volunteered, all the things they've done in their lives. You know what? They look at their accomplishments. I'm better than most folks. So what do you feel good about when you look in the mirror in the morning? Others I know are exactly the opposite here. They see the verdict is in. Imagine some of these Israelites. They've been treated like dogs for 400 years. Can you imagine the PTSD? The trauma? What about these Hebrew women who actually did throw their babies into the Nile River out of fear? And they're carrying that. What shame do you carry in this world? Friends, God invites us to leave this world behind. All that. Whatever you're looking at the mirror that you identify with, leave that behind and enter into a new and better kingdom reality. But you have come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. What's it like, Joel? It's a festival scene. Imagine all the angels with party hats on right now, okay? That's what's going on here. Did you realize we're at an angel party right now? They're angels worshiping with us right now. We can't see them, but they watched us walk in the door. And do you know what they're celebrating, why they have these hats on? I think, I don't know exactly, but I imagine Michael's looking at Gabriel and saying, Gabriel, can you believe it? It's Irvin. <laughs> that guy got in. <laughs> wow, God's grace is incredible. I've watched him. <laughs> Man, he got in. They're another party. They watched folks like you and I walk in. And we find that our names are enrolled in the ecclesia, in the church. That's what that is. The assembly of the firstborn. What does that mean? Well, in this culture, the firstborn got the lion's share of the inheritance. It didn't matter how they lived or anything about them. The firstborn always just got it. They didn't earn it. They simply received it, just like receiving a kingdom. That's good news, right? Receiving a kingdom is not based on works at all. You walk into Mount Zion, and you are getting an inheritance that you didn't earn. And then you come to 23B. Huh. You have all this good news. You come to Mount Zion, New Jerusalem, party, angels, eh, and then and God, the judge of all. <laughs> that may dampen our mood, right? Whoa. We got God the judge with gavel presiding over this party. Joel, I don't like that. <laughs> you really think about that to make you shake in your boots a little bit? Actually, shaking is what this judge is all about. Verse 26, at that time, talking about Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he's promised. Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that things that cannot be shaken may remain. So what's going on here, Joel? Friends, this passage is actually all about judgment. God shook the earth once at Sinai, and we saw what happened to people who had their identities grounded on this earth. And God's going to shake the cosmos once more, and only once more, 
I know that sounds scary, and it is. God will shake everything, and if it doesn't have any substance, if it's not eternal and lasting, it's going to be gone. But here's the good news for you, my friends. That need not leave us shaking because of another mountain. Matthew 27, verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, there is darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sakbakthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks split. That scene was Jesus' death on Mount Calvary. Do you hear the Sinai sequel? Do you see it? Darkness, gloom, ground shaking, and Jesus being shaken for you. He took our shaking. Jesus was getting the judgment that you and I deserve. And after the shaking was done, what happened? The curtain that separated us from the presence of God was torn so that we could enter into God's presence. And our smiling risen Jesus, he's the next one we hear about here at the party. Verse 24, we come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better blood word than the blood of Abel. Abel being killed by his brother Cain and that blood cried out from the earth for justice. But here, the kingdom blood of Jesus cries out mercy for all who will simply come with nothing to offer except our worship and praise and thanks. And that's why we're so grateful. This is the why. All our sins have been forgiven, covered by the blood. Can't find our identity in that. All our shame is gone. No matter what verdicts have been placed on you by others, and I know people have said stuff, gone. And we are now unshakable because we have a new identity in Jesus Christ. That means the judge of all the earth is for you, and he will make all things right, including those brothers and sisters who may be frustrating you right now. They will be spirits of the righteous made perfect. So we offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for he is a consuming fire. Oh, that's probably equally scary, right? <laughs> fire isn't safe. But remember, God is good. The God who is a consuming fire is not safe, but he is good. So we need to come here expecting God's heat and trusting it is for our good. And this is why we come here, friends, and I'm coming to a close, but I don't want you to miss out on it. Did you come here for any other reason than to meet with God? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? What are we doing here? You have the opportunity every Sunday to come into the presence of the unchanging real. And all his consuming fire that comes at us is meant to purge all our pretense, purge all our performance, all our patterns of thinking and being and doing that have no substance. Fact is, we come in here and we're weak, we're wounded, we're lonely, we're sad, we're sinful, we're scared, we're ashamed. And every day we go out there and we try so hard to work to prove to ourselves and to others that it's not true. 
We try to control outcomes in our own lives and other people. We stay frantically busy and never stopping, even though we know it is hurting us and hurting others. Because I'm always just creating an illusion of all that I want to believe is true and real about me. I get a witness. And God invites us to come just as we are and to stand in his presence, to truly take in who he is, that he's good, but not safe. And he's going to start scorching all that scaffolding we keep putting up around ourselves and anything else that's of no substance. And what we discover as that fire does its work and burns away the false self is that the true self begins to emerge as God's spirit breathes into your life. Fire in the spirit. The real you. Don't you want to become the real you that can receive that kingdom? Because that's the whole thing. God is making you into a royal child so that you can receive a kingdom. But your old self that's rooted in this world cannot receive that kingdom. Only your true self can let go of this world and everything about it and receive that kingdom that God has prepared for you. Now, does that sound just like a fairy tale too good to be true? I hope so. Because the best fairy tales, you know, the ones that we grew up and used to love when we were little, maybe still enjoy, they're actually capturing the best parts of the gospel. Because they tap into that memory trace that remains, that we all have still, that Adam and Eve's actions caused us to lose when they started worshiping wrong. So there's one last question. It's our application. How do I receive this kingdom? I threw in an H there. By faith and earnestly seeking. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things we can't see. You can set your heart on all the things that you can see that you can't keep. Or you can look with eyes of faith and be grateful for what requires a holy imagination as you come to God again and again. And then earnest seeking, come into worship, God, with reverence and awe and expecting to encounter glory. That's going to change you. I think that's why some come to church and feel or think as they leave here they didn't get very much. I think it's because they came here not actually expecting God to encounter God. Let that not be true of us. I want to encounter God. Do you want to experience God? Well, let's close then by reciting our memory verse for this month. Let's meditate on this and prepare our hearts for next Sunday should next Sunday come. Let's say together, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for gifts that seem just too good to be true, and yet they are. And I pray that you will give us eyes of faith to see Jesus seated on that throne and inviting us to come, to come to you, Help us, Lord. Give us the ability to earnestly seek you, that we may experience you and be changed forever. For your glory and for the good of ourselves and also for this world, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.